So we're in a series called The Nine Flavored Life about the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Galatians. He wrote a letter to the Christians in Galatia. And in chapter 5, verse 22, he, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. In other words, nobody uh, protests these uh, virtues. They're awesome. And the subtitle to this series is, The Fruit of the Spirit Tastes Great. Who doesn't want a life characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And who doesn't want to be married to such a person? And who doesn't want to be friends with such a person? Who doesn't want to have a, a mom and a dad who, when you bite into them, that's what they taste like? Who doesn't want a kid like that? Absolutely. This is, this is a great life. This is uh, part of the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And the Spirit of God produces that in us uh, as, as we surrender more and more control of our lives over to God's Spirit. Because God is, these are, these are uh, uh, attributes of God. And so when the life of God is more and more uh, resident in us and more and more con in control of us, then we take on the flavor of our God and His character. If you've missed any of the earlier uh, sermons, you can catch them online, clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app. We're looking at um, what each of these flavors, uh, one, one flavor per week. Notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. There's one fruit, and it has multiple uh, flavors. Today we are looking at kindness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So let me start with a question. What is the kindest thing someone has done for you? The kindest thing anyone's ever done for you. I'll never forget the answer one woman gave to that question. She said, oh, that's, that's easy. Kindest thing anyone has ever done for me. That's the way my parents and our church reacted to my unplanned pregnancy at age 17. My dad was actually the pastor of the church. And uh, it was a, a small Bible preaching church. And so I'd been taught from the time I was a kid that sex is to be reserved for marriage. That's God's plan. That's where it is to be enjoyed. And here I was, unmarried, still in high school, 17 years old and pregnant. She said, I'll never forget the first day I was back at church. I'm sitting on the back row, expecting the looks, expecting some judgmental, condemning comments. The pastor's daughter, pregnant, not married. But she said, rather than get that, what I got was a whole bunch of hugs. Person after person came up and hugged me, told me they loved me. She said, one woman even said, okay, honey, I know this wasn't your plan, but aren't you just a little bit excited about this life growing inside of you? And she said, that was the first time somebody had given me permission to celebrate. Yes, I hadn't come about this pregnancy in God's best way, but it was a life worth celebrating. And she said, 
I, I, would have, I wasn't going to have an abortion. She said that was not an option, but I was seriously considering giving up the child for adoption. And she said it was the kindness of God's people that gave me the courage to raise what turned out to be twins myself. She said, now, contrast that with uh, some others who encouraged her to get an abortion, who spread uh, the rumor around town that maybe the, the, maybe the baby wasn't really her boyfriend's and uh, was not supportive. In fact, the boyfriend was so surprised at the kind uh, response of the, of the Christians compared to the non-Christian family he grew up in and, and uh, that he actually opened his heart to Jesus. He said, there has got to be something about this whole Jesus thing because the, the, the contrast is so significant. And I've heard him, he since became a Christian. They actually got married. And I have since heard him testify that it was the kindness of her parents and the kindness of her church that convinced me there is a God who loves me. And it's why I became a Christian. Kindness. It is something that God, God is kind, praise God, and then He works His kindness in us. So what is kindness? Shawnee Feldman wrote a book on kindness, and she says kindness is... Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it comes down to three things. It's withholding being negative. It's finding things to praise and being positive and affirming. And it's doing acts of service or generosity uh, on a, someone else's behalf. Our God is kind. He withholds being negative. And when somebody uh, refrains from pointing out your mistake, and you know that they know, <laughs> and they choose not to be negative, we know that, that we feel that as kindness, don't we? Finding things to praise. And, and you know, with some people that's more difficult uh, than it is with others. But when, when, we, when we find the things to praise... And we're positive and affirming that's kindness. And people feel that as being kind. And then um, meeting somebody's needs with an act of uh, service or generosity. I want you to consider taking a 30-day kindness challenge. Uh, Shawnee Feldman says that 89% of the people she knows who take this 30-day challenge better uh, a, a relationship. And so here it is. It's, the details are in your bulletin, by the way, so you can take it home and uh, do this. But here it is, uh, the 30-day challenge. Find somebody uh, you want to better your relationship with and then do these three things for 30 days. Number one, say nothing negative about that person, either to them or about them to anyone else. Number two, each day find one positive thing you can praise or affirm about that person and tell them and tell somebody else. And number three, each day 
for 30 days, do one small act of kindness or generosity for them. 89% of the people who take this challenge better their relationship. Is there somebody in your life you could be kind to? Somebody you want a better relationship with? Consider taking this 30-day challenge. Now, we don't want to be people who just do the occasional random act of kindness, the occasional kind thing. We want to be people characterized by kindness uh, so that if they bite into us, they taste kindness. And so I did a lot of reading this week on, on kindness, and I've distilled what I learned down to this. Kind people see and meet needs because they care. Kind people see and meet needs because they care. Number one, they see needs. And that is hard to do if you are self-focused. If, if your attention is on yourself and getting your own needs met, it's very hard to be looking at someone else and, and being thoughtful about what is it that they need. So if you are... Uh, self-focused and selfish, it's hard to see. It's also hard to see needs if you're not aware of uh, how needy people are, including yourself. I mean, people have physical needs, yes. They have also emotional needs and spiritual needs. Some of the, let's think about the emotional need. People have a need to be understood they have a need to be heard. They have a need to be respected. They have a need to be appreciated, to be enjoyed, on and on. Massive emotional needs that everybody has. And people have spiritual needs that many, many people don't even understand their spiritual need. They have a need for a personal relationship with God. They have an, a need to be confident, uh, assured that God loves them and is listening to them and will help them. They have a need to have their guilt uh, taken away and to walk in forgiveness. And so there are, uh, there are a lot of needs in the people around us. And, it, and if you're not aware of that, first in your own life and in, in the lives of other people, it can be hard to see needs. The fact is there are a lot of needs around and kind people see needs and they meet needs. Now we can't meet every need and the Bible understands that. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 we read, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Notice that, as we have opportunity. Uh, we aren't responsible to meet all the needs of the world, nor do we have the capacity to meet all the needs, but there are, there's a lot we can do. There are a lot of needs that we can meet. And then finally, uh, kind people, they see needs, they meet needs because they care. Um, there are, kindness is good, it's good to be kind, but some people are kind so that they feel good about themselves. Some people are kind so that they can get kindness, you know, uh, back to them. They're trying to win people's affection, and, and, and a lot of that stuff does happen. But uh, Jesus tells us that we are to 
Be kind because we value other people as much as ourselves. And that's a ridiculously high calling. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we read this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Think about that. Do nothing from selfish ambition, which means I want to win. Uh, I want the good things to happen to me. I want to be the one on top. That should never be your motivation. Uh, That shouldn't be the motivation for your action. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And conceit is there saying, you know, I'm more important. Uh, My needs are more important than yours. I'm better than you. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let each of you look not only to his own. In Greek, the word interest isn't actually there. It's just look, uh, look not only to your own, but also to uh, the other. And so we can insert there. Look not only to your own uh, sleep, right? Look not only to your own happiness. Look not only to your own financial well-being. Look not only to your own whatever, but also to that of others. That is a high calling, isn't it? But boy, it's nice to know people who are like that. <laughs> Jesus tells us in, in, chapter, in Luke chapter 6 that we're not... We're not just to be kind to people who can repay us. We're to be kind simply because God is kind. Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. This is Jesus saying, you know, I want you to be extraordinary. And uh, not just like everyone else. Loving people who love you, that's nothing extraordinary. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. There's nothing unique about that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. If you want to be like God your father, well, look at the way he treats people. He's not just kind to the righteous. He's not just kind to those who say, thank you, God. He's kind to even the ungrateful So God is pouring out his kindness on people, and they're not saying thank you. They might even deny that God exists. They might even be complaining about him, and yet he continues to be kind to them. And he's kind even to the evil, people who are flat out opposed to the things of God. 
And that's the kind of kindness we're called to. To be kind to people, period. Simply because they are created in the image of God. And they are worthy of our um, attention and they're worthy of our sacrifice. So I want to tell a Bible story uh, that I think highlights kindness. And this is the story of David and Mephibosheth. Last week, uh, Pastor James uh, talked to us about the tension between King Saul and David. Uh, God had come to Saul, king of Israel, and said, Saul, I am going to take the throne from you and give it to one more worthy because you have disobeyed me. Uh, Saul disobeyed a direct command of God, and so God was removing the throne from him. But Saul thought, oh, oh, as Saul um, correctly surmised that David was the one God had selected to become the next king. And Saul thought, oh, I'm going to just kill David, and that way God's plan can't come to pass, which, you know... How often do people succeed at thwarting God? Never. And yet in the arrogance of the human heart, we think that we can somehow fight God and win. So Saul, for multiple years, Saul is uh, hell-bent on killing David. Well, Saul had multiple sons, and one of his sons was Jonathan. And Saul told Jonathan, you should be helping me kill David. Don't you understand that if David becomes king... You're not going to become king. He is a threat to you as much as he's a threat to me. But Jonathan, the Bible says, loved David as himself. He was a friend to David. And and he uh, was a very humble, godly man. And in in his mind, if God has chosen David to be the next king, I can't fight that. I don't even want to fight that. And so David was Jonathan's friend and uh, angered his dad many times because he protected Jonathan. Well, uh, knowing that David was God's ordained next king, Jonathan said, David, I want uh, us to to enter into a covenant, into an agreement, and I I will pledge my kindness to you if you will pledge your kindness to me and to, to my heirs. And they did. They entered into a a covenant of kindness. Well, the Philistines invaded Israel, and Saul and Jonathan led the armies of Israel against the Philistines, and they both died in battle. Uh, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, and at the age of five, his dad dies in battle, and his nursemaid... um, Fearing regime change, because what happens when one king dies? Usually the next king wipes out their, the family because you know, they have a legitimate claim to the throne and they're a threat. And so the nursemaid hears that uh, Saul and Jonathan had been killed and she grabs Mephibosheth and she rushes uh, out of the palace and, and in her uh, haste she falls. Either she falls or she loses control of Mephibosheth. But he has a great fall, and it makes him lame. And for the rest of his life, uh, he's, he's lame. 
David is made king by the two southern tribes. There are 12 tribes of Israel, and the two southern tribes uh, are often referred to as Judah. And they make David king, but the 10 northern tribes, they make one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, king. But then there's some political intrigue, and Ishbosheth is murdered by, uh, by his own court. And there's some civil war, and at the end of the day, David, you know, some years go past, but, but at the end of the day, David is now king of all 12 tribes, the United Kingdom. And at that point in his reign, he remembers Jonathan and, and the promise he had made to Jonathan. And so David asks his court, uh, are there, is there anyone left to Saul's house to whom I may show kindness for the sake of Jonathan? And they do some digging, and they come back and say, yes, actually, uh, Jonathan has a son still alive by the name of Mephibosheth, and he lives off in the north, and uh, he's being taken care of. He's a charity case by, by someone up in the north. And Saul says, bring Mephibosheth to me. If you're Mephibosheth, what do you think's happening to you? <laughs> you probably figure you're going to get killed. I've been found. Oh, no. Uh, and so when he comes to Jerusalem, he prostates himself before David and says, I am your servant. But rather than kill him off, David says, Mephibosheth, for the sake of Jonathan, I am restoring to you all the lands of your grandfather, Saul. That's probably a whole lot of lands, right? Those were the royal lands. Uh, and... Ziba, one of Saul's um, servants, who has 15 sons and 20 servants of, him, of his own, David said, Ziba and his house, they're going to serve you. They're going to take care of all of your lands so that you're wealthy. But you, you're going to live with me here in uh, Jerusalem at the palace, and you will eat at my table like a prince for all of your days. A tremendous act of kindness. That wins over uh, Mephibosheth's heart. I, I think we learned five things about kindness from this story. First off, uh, Jonathan asked David to um, promise to love him with the kindness of the Lord. And I think that's significant. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, verses 14 and 15, we read this. Uh, Jonathan says to David, If I'm still alive when you become king, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. Steadfast love, that is the same term that the New Testament uh, translates as kindness. It's, a, it's chesed in Hebrew. It's a very significant word that uh, is often translated as um, loving kindness or steadfast love. So, so Jonathan is not, Jonathan is saying, look, I don't want just any kind of kindness. I don't want the kindness of the world. I want the kind of kindness that God shows to us to be shown to me and my children. A very particular kindness. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So, as Christians, we're, 
We are called to be kind to other people with the kindness uh, that God has shown us. And that kindness is on great display uh, in Jesus, and in particular on the cross. Right? How, much, how kind is God to us? This kind. Uh, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were shaking our fist in the face of God and uh, doing our own thing and not being grateful and being evil, Christ died for us. God saw our need. They're sinners. And the penalty of sin is death. And if I don't go down and die for them, they're going to die and it's game over. And so God, in the person of Jesus, left heaven, came to earth Willingly went to the cross. What did Jesus say? Nobody takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. Because he's kind. And Jonathan's saying, that's the kind of kindness I want shown to me. And that's the kind of kindness we are called to show others. Take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus said. Well, secondly, David was not kind to Mephibosheth. I'm sorry, David uh, was kind to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? I love that. Uh, David wanted to honor Jonathan. David wanted to show kindness to Jonathan, and so he showed kindness to Jonathan's son. We are, we are not kind to other people because they necessarily deserve it. We're kind uh, for God's sake. What did Jesus say? You give somebody a cup of water in my name. You visit them in prison. Anything you do for the least of these, you do it for me. And so when we are kind to other people, no matter who they are, uh, no matter what the color of their skin, no matter what their religion is, no matter what their nationality, no matter how educated they are, no matter how old they are, uh, no matter whether they are fully functioning or they have a disability, if they're created in the image of God, any kindness we do towards them is for the Lord's sake. God views that as kindness toward him. And so it's a very, you know, you want to say, you want to do something kind for God? Do something kind for another person. And he receives it as kindness toward him. Number three, David was not being kind to get something from Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was lame. He was a charity case. He didn't have soldiers to offer. He couldn't even fight in David's army. He had no money. He was a taker, not a giver. And so David wasn't being kind in order to get something. He was simply being kind. Number four, David's kindness to Mephibosheth cost him. Kindness often costs us. If you're going to meet someone's need, it usually takes time, energy, money, and so David, what did he, who did Saul's lands belong to before he gave them back to Mephibosheth? David, right? David was the new king. And so 
the lands of Saul were, were David's. And so David, by handing over to Mephibosheth all of Saul's lands, that comes right out of his coffers. And how, you know, it, and I'm sure it cost something to have Mephibosheth eat at David's table for a lifetime. So to be kind, there's, there's a cost associated with being kind. And the example the Bible gives us, Jesus' example, David's example, is uh, they're willing to pay that cost, are we? And then finally, and I'm going to end on this, finally, David's kindness won Mephibosheth's heart. Uh, fast forward in the story. David is now uh, an, an older man, and one of his sons, Absalom, decides, I'm tired of waiting for dad to die, and I'm going to just kick him off the throne and take it for myself, Absalom. And so Absalom mounts a rebellion against David, and uh, for, a, for a little while it looks like Absalom's going to win, and David has to flee Jerusalem uh, with his small band of loyalists. And as he's fleeing Jerusalem, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, meets David uh, with some donkeys and food. And David asks him, where's Mephibosheth? And he said, Mephibosheth did not come with me. He remained in Jerusalem and he said, today the, the northern tribes are going to return to me the throne of my father. Which makes David angry, right? David thinks Mephibosheth's a traitor, and so he says to Ziba, all the lands that belong to your master are now yours. The battle is ultimately won by David. David is restored to the throne. He's in Jerusalem, and Mephibosheth shows up. 2 Samuel 19, and Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He'd neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. From the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I'll saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. Um, in some of the uh, earliest manuscripts, it reads a little bit more like, uh, I asked my servant to uh, saddle me a donkey, but he didn't, and I'm lame. So in other words, I couldn't come. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before the lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? You hear what he's saying? Look, um, do whatever you think is best. Because uh, you should have killed me long ago. I was from the rival house. But you didn't kill me. Uh, you let me live and so I have no further claim on you. You've already been uh, totally gracious to me. And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. So here I think, I think David is a little unsure who to believe, right? And so he splits the difference. And he said, All right, Ziba keeps half, you keep half. I'm not exactly sure who is who's telling the truth here. 
And then here's Mephibosheth's final statement. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Uh, so Mephibosheth is saying, I don't care about the land. I care about your safety. You're what's important to me. Ziba can have all the land. And I think that the, the, by, by telling us that he hadn't washed his feet, trimmed his beard, uh, taken care of his, or washed his clothes, I think that's the narrator telling us Mephibosheth has truly been distressed from the time David was taken out. So here's what I see. What I see is that David's kindness to Mephibosheth won Mephibosheth's heart. And Mephibosheth, because David was kind to him, loved David and cared deeply about him. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we're told the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He's just been talking about some, some wicked stuff. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, God's kindness and forbearance and patience isn't to give you a free pass to go live however you want to. His kindness is meant to, uh, to prompt you to return to Him. And that's... That is so often the case, where people experience God's kindness when they expect judgment and condemnation and rejection, and yet they feel God's kindness upon them in Jesus, and they say, why am I running from this God who loves me and is kind to me? Why am I running from a God who would die in my place to take the penalty for my sins upon himself? This is, God is good. He is kind toward me. Why am I running from him? No, I'm going to return to him. And so what is repentance? It's turning away from a life of independence from God. Away from the things that grieve God's heart and keep us uh, emotionally disconnected from him. And it's running back to him in faith. And that's what God's kindness does for us. It reminds us that God is good, that He is for us, and that it's crazy to run away from Him, but rather we should return to Him. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads, uh, closing your eyes. I want you to just consider God's kindness to you in Jesus. you know full well there's a lot that God could point to in your life and condemn you. But He doesn't. Instead, He finds the things to praise in your life. And He said, look, I've made you. I will put my spirit in you. I want to be with you forever and ever. Return to me. 
And he came to earth, and he went to the cross, and he willingly laid down his life to pay the penalty for your sins. And because of Jesus, you can be restored in your relationship with God. You can be forgiven. You can live forever. God is kind toward you. Return to him and then be kind to others. Amen.